John Arvin, as, uh, as uh, Marty explained, uh, called me, uh, I think, Monday afternoon, uh, asking if I would uh, replace Brother, his name is Garrett uh, Bernathy, Garrett Bernathy, and uh, something about a baby being born, right? I think, yeah, I, I, it's his wife or something? Something about a baby, being, a baby being born, he needed to be there, so... We know, those of us who have had to be there for babies being born, we know that that, it, that takes priority. So anyways, uh, he was scheduled to teach on the topic of patience, especially as it involves building bridges in the process of evangelizing and sharing our faith. And so uh, I'm very happy to, uh, uh, to be asked and uh, to share that lesson with you. And when he gave me that title, it made me think of a brief video that Hal and I produced a while back, an animated video that addresses the virtue of patience in general. Uh, We're going to play that video. It's only about two minutes long, but it's just like a little quickie uh, devo on the idea of patience, and then I'll come back and we'll we'll get into our lesson. So maybe... uh, Drop these lights down here. Okay, I'll press the button. I met an unpleasant man the other day. We didn't speak, only shook hands, but his body language and the manner of his grip told me that he wasn't interested in speaking or knowing me. This wouldn't have been so bad, except that he was serving as a greeter at a congregation I was visiting. Afterwards, in the car... I was about to share my negative opinion of this brother with my wife when I realized that sour words were all I had. It dawned on me that she didn't need to know about this man's perceived failings and to say nothing would at least end the experience with some sort of silent victory. I suppose Jesus may be referring to this exact experience when he said in Matthew 7, 1, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. Jesus gives the principle and the command, but James provides the actual way this can be done in his epistle when he says in James chapter 1, verse 19, Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. You see, I've always had trouble with criticism. It seems that receiving it is always painful and giving it rather easy. It is in my case anyways. But with this recent experience comes an epiphany that clarifies the relationship between the command and the proper keeping of that command. In a word, breathe. Take a break between the formation of the criticism in your mind and the expression of that criticism with one of like mind. It'll surprise you how much negative criticism you can avoid spreading when you place one single breath between the thought and the tongue. Try it. I guarantee that you'll be breathing easier if you do. Just a little trick there. Take a breath. You think about something you want to say to somebody? Take a breath. You think about... sharing your disappointment about how things are being done. Take a breath, just a breath. And a lot of times, just taking that one breath gives you an extra moment to decide 
not to say what you were going to say. It's a good exercise. And I thought it would be a good way to start this lesson off on patience. So this brief uh, video opens our minds to the necessity of patience and long-suffering without which uh, we cannot at times even begin to have a conversation with someone about matters of faith. Patience is an important tool in the bridge-building process of evangelism. A little bit about patience, just to, you know, what does the word mean? We say it all the time, you know, you've got to be patient. Uh, I wasn't patient enough. What does it mean exactly? Well, it means that you're able to endure for a long time, long endurance. Uh, in the military, there's a thing called bearing, bearing. You mustn't lose your bearing. I remember, I've told this story before, I think, uh, when Julia was graduating or when she was being promoted, that's it, she was being meritoriously promoted in the Marine Corps. And uh, Lisa and I happened to be visiting her, you know, uh, where she was posted out in California. And uh, the general or whoever uh, the guy was, the, uh, the top guy, he says, you know, if your parents are here, your father can, you know, put your, your stripes on. What are they called, Paul? Your chevron, I said, you put your chevron, you know, your dad can go there and do that during the ceremony, you know. And I said, oh, great, you know. And I was talking to Julia before, and I said, oh, I'm, I'm going to make you smile, or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something to kind of get, you know, get under your skin or make you laugh. And she was saying, no, Dad, please don't do anything to make me lose my bearing. I want to maintain my bearing. And the idea of patience uh, is 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 the idea that we maintain our our bearing when we're under when we're under pressure the ability to endure difficult people or difficult situations without giving in to anger or discouragement or giving up hope that's that's what patience is Another word for patience is long-suffering. Long-suffering is just a, a word that describes the idea of patience, long-suffering. You're able to suffer a long time before you lose your, your bearing, before you lose your patience, before you lose your, your, your good attitude, your love. James tells us, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. But in some uh, Bibles, it's the word patience, the testing of your faith. Well, how does God test your faith? What's he do? Huh? You're not, everybody's nodding, but... What? Yeah, it gives you trials, you know, disappointments. You're about to leave for an appointment. You've got to be there on time, and uh, it's raining outside, and your windshield wiper blade flies off of your car. You know, Arr. stupid stuff like that. Patience, another point I want to make here is the patience is the willingness to bear under in order to build or maintain a bridge or a relationship. The willingness 
to do stuff, the willingness to put up with stuff. I believe it's the sermon that ought to be preached at weddings, but never is. You know, at weddings we preach about, you know, it's got to be wonderful, you know, and everybody's so happy, you know, and that's true. But a few minutes, a few minute discourse on the necessity of patience in order to build a successful relationship would be very helpful, right? Amen. Now that we have a bit of a, you know, a better understanding of this word and how it manifests itself in our character, let's therefore examine the role of patience in the bridge-building efforts that are required in the process of evangelism. We'll do this by reviewing the four basic essentials to successful personal evangelism, the building blocks for building bridges. Now, whenever churches uh, offer a class on personal evangelism, some of the same type of questions are always asked. I've taught several of these classes. Same questions come up. Most of these have to do with various approaches that you can take with people of different religious backgrounds and, and how you become more evangelistically minded. In other words, how do we succeed with Catholics? I remember being in Quebec and when I would come to the United States, uh, the, the, my sponsoring church in those days was, was the Edmund Church. And I would teach a class as the visiting missionary. And that was always the question. I have a Catholic uncle. How do you teach Catholics? Like there's a silver bullet for Catholics. You know? But I mean, people think like that, right? How do you approach people who don't believe in God? How do you approach people who used to believe in God but don't believe in God anymore? How do you talk to those people? How do you respond to a Jewish person? I remember talking to a Jewish lady once, and she said, I don't need anybody to die for my sins. Okay, where do I go now? I mean, you know. Just fill in the blank. Roman Catholic, Mormon, Protestant, you know. How do you talk to this type of person? The answer, of course, uh, is that um, all of these are different people and situations but there are some common elements to all of them. And what I'm going to suggest here are some basic Bible principles that can be applied to each situation. There's no single verse that says, this is how to approach a Jew, or this is how to you know, successfully convert a Catholic or a Mormon or a Methodist. The best place in the Bible to find information about Evangelism is, anyone know the book I'm talking about? Yes, the Romans is good, but the book of Acts, actually, just for evangelistic, you know, the process of evangelism in the book of Acts, very good. Book of Acts is the eyewitness account of the establishment of the early church and how it went about in its effort to evangelize the world. In this book, we see real people overcoming all kinds of obstacles like language, religion, persecution, immorality of great proportions, lack of resources, and still succeed you know, in bringing people, to, uh, bringing people to Christ. 
all of these obstacles. And these people still manage somehow to build bridges in order to communicate with folks, very different folks, about the, the gospel. I find that when it comes to evangelism, the questions that people uh, ask um, all have the same obstacle in common, and that is a different belief system. Okay? So uh, one person wants to convert a Mormon, another one wants to convert a Jew, one wants to win over their Protestant husband or Roman Catholic uncle. Some work with those who believe that there is no God. What do we do? In the Bible, we read accounts of Paul and others going out to preach in the world when there was no such thing as Christianity. Today, somebody is saying, oh, you're, you're a Christian. You, you, you're trying, you, know, you want to tell me about Christianity? But in those days, you know, no, nobody knew about Christianity. And the only people they talked to were people who talked, who belonged to other religions. You know, we, I often find it a little strange when we say, I was trying to convert my Baptist friend. And I'm thinking, you were kind of converting your Baptist friend? You mean your Baptist friend who, who believes that in God and who believes that Jesus is the Son of God and who believes that, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you're trying to teach them more perfectly Yes, convert them, I'm not so sure. But someone who's a, you know, a Jew, someone who's a pagan. So if you had to convert, how do you talk to someone who's a Mormon or a Jew or Protestant? How do you talk to people? I think it's the next slide I'm looking for. There we go. Like the apostles who spoke to people like Jews who still held to the, well, for them, the Old Testament, but still held to the law. Or Greeks. For the Greek, philosophy is what guided their thinking. And they were polytheists. They believed in many, many gods. Or how about Romans who worshipped the emperor? Or how about, you know, various pagan groups who worshipped nature, or they had specific gods and goddesses, Diana of the Ephesians, for example. How, do you, how, do you, how did they do that? The names and the details of these religions are different than today, but like today, they did not accept the Bible as God's word, nor did they know or accept Jesus as the only divine Lord and Savior, at least today, you know, Jesus has name recognition. <laughs> They'll say, oh, you're a Christian. You, know, you believe in Jesus. You believe, you know, they can usually tell you a lot of things about Jesus. But in those days, you know, people knew nothing. People would say, wait, wait a minute. You're saying, yeah, okay, so this Jesus, he's a God, right? Okay, and then, okay, you're telling me people killed him? He's a God and people killed him? And then he resurrected from the dead. Wow, that's a you know. If you think it's if you think it's difficult teaching our Methodist friends more perfectly about the Bible, try teaching people in the first century about Jesus. I mean, they had quite a task. 
So we're not given any other plan or approach in evangelism. There are always you know, a lot of books. The new method in it. There's no new method in evangelism. It's always the same plan because it comes from the same book. The same principles, the same approaches are, pro- are provided in the New Testament. So what I'm going to do for the rest of the lesson is just review four basic principles for successful evangelism. They're not ones that I made up or that I discovered or I'm, I didn't take them out of somebody's best-selling book. They're four principles that the apostles used that you read about. All I've done is just put them in order, that's all. So principle number one, successful personal evangelism. Right, ready? Prayer. Duh. Prayer. Before Jesus sent out the 70 and later when he chose the 12 who would go out and evangelize the world, what did he do? He prayed. Luke 6, 12. Before the apostles began their great ministry of evangelism in Jerusalem, what were they doing? They were gathered together uh, for prayer. In Acts chapter 1, verses 12 to 14. Before the church sent out Paul and Barnabas to begin their great missionary effort, the church, what did it do? They were fasting and praying for their success and for guidance. Acts 13, 1 to 3. When Paul's ministry was roadblocked or in doubt, when he encountered opposition to the message, what did he do? He responded with prayer. When he was in jail, he responded in, what do I do in jail? Well, you know, you're, 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 you're locked in blocks, you're chained to a wall. Yeah, pray. We can always pray. It never gets so bad that we cannot pray. You're never so sick that you cannot pray. You're never so defeated that you cannot pray. You can always pray. Always. And sometimes God puts us in situations to see, are you going to pray to me? Are you going to talk to me? Prayer is the first step because it acknowledges the truth about each situation, each obstacle that needs to be bridged. You know, we're talking about building bridges. Prayer acknowledges that God is in charge. The minute you open your mouth and you say, Father, I need you, love you, want you, whatever, you know, the moment you open your mouth to begin to pray, you acknowledge before the angels in heaven and to yourself that God is in charge. Let's get the priorities straight here. God's in charge. Prayer acknowledges that we are only his servants. That's all we are. My best prayer is when I say to God, Lord, please, I just want to be a good servant. That's all. I'm not asking for anything else. I just want to hear those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. 
It's all I want to be. And if I've strayed away from that, if I've forgotten that, help me to remember. It's what I am. It's what you called me to be. Prayer acknowledges that our friends and our family need God and they need Christ and we are placing them directly into his hands through prayer. I have a friend who's ill and I've prayed with that friend. And that prayer is only my way of saying to my friend, I can't do anything for you. But through this prayer, I'm putting you into the hands of God because I know God can do something for you. Through prayer, we, we remove ourselves as the force through which conversion comes. It's not our intelligence. It's not our arguments. It's not our approach. And through prayer, we place the gospel of Christ and the efforts of the Holy Spirit as the key elements that bring about conversion. Romans 1.16, Paul says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. You'd say, why would he write, I'm not ashamed of the gospel? Remember I just told you, he's talking to pagans, he's talking to people who have never heard this, and he's saying, yeah, this guy Jesus, yeah, he's God. Okay, and then they killed him, huh? (laughs) And he's saying, I'm not ashamed of that story, of those facts. I'm not embarrassed to tell you that. Why? Because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And then in Romans 8, 28, he says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. This is such a mangled, oh man, do we ever stomp on this thing here? You know, All things work together for good. I got my new car. The forces of the spiritual world don't care what kind of car you're driving. All things work together for good. What good? The good of the gospel. God is working all things together so that you will come face to face with the gospel. God works all things together for good so that you and I will remain faithful to the gospel. Not that we will be able to pay off our mortgage. Not that we will have this or that thing. All things work together to get us to heaven. To keep the spirit within us and not quench it. All things work together for all of that. The Holy Spirit works to bring man face to face with the gospel and he does it in his own way. You, I, we're his servants. We're the ones that say, hey, Joe, uh, would you like to come and visit my 
my church this Sunday. We're drivers. <laughs> We're drivers. You're sitting next to Joe and the preacher gets up and he, he preaches the gospel. And the gospel and, and the preacher doesn't know who Joe is. But the words coming out of the preacher's mouth go into Joe's heart. And then you, the servant, you drive Joe home. That's how that works. So for each question or case presented, I would say that you should begin by making that person or that situation a regular subject for your prayers. In this way, you're establishing the correct relationship between yourself and the other person and God, and you are creating the best environment for the next principle in the biblical approach to conversion or teaching or bridge building for conversion's sake, principle number two, proclamation. When faced with a tremendous array of opposing belief systems, the apostles simply began by proclaiming the gospel. Acts chapter uh, uh, 2, verses 1 to 38. They didn't start by trying to explain how Christianity was different than Judaism or how the doctrines of Jesus compared to the teachings of other religious leaders. They didn't do that. In other words, they didn't begin with debate or comparisons. They began with proclamation. Obviously, there's a time and a place, and this is what prayer and the work of the Holy Spirit provides, But when the opportunity comes, we need to share with our atheist or Muslim or even Roman Catholic or our Methodist friends or family, whatever, we need to share with them the reason for our faith. And the gospel can be reduced to the following three statements. If if you want it that simple. Three statements. I believe, we're talking religion, right? Yak, 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 religion. Oh, what about religion? You know, you go to church, you know. Okay, we're, we're on the subject. Speaking of religion, I believe that the Bible teaches first that Jesus, the divine son of God, proven so by fulfilled prophecy and miracles and his own resurrection, died on the cross to atone for all of my sins and all of your sins. I believe that. Need a scripture? Romans 3.21. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. I mean, you know, you can unpack that for an hour if you want, but that passage supports what you what you have said. And in Romans, uh, wait a minute, let me get it. Romans chapter one verse four, where Paul says, "Who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord." How do you know that Jesus is God? Why do you believe that? Your Mormon friend says because right here it says that God declared that Jesus is the Son of God. How He raised Him from the dead. Where's Mohammed? Oh, he's dead. Is he still dead? Yeah. Okay. Rest my case. 
My guy, your guy. My guy's alive. Your guy's still in the, you know, you make a big, you make a big uh, hub to do each year to go visit his grave. <laughs> I make a big hub to do every week to celebrate his life. Statement number two. My own resurrection and eternal life are made possible not by my perfect obedience, but rather by faith in him which is expressed in repentance, baptism, and a faithful life of discipleship. Many scriptures there. Uh, how's our time? Yeah, I need to go. We know. Mark 16, 16. Acts 2, 38. Did I put another one down there? Yeah, Matthew 10, uh, verse 22. That's the second statement. Third statement And Jesus is the only person through whom a person can be saved and thus have a relationship with the true God of heaven. What did I say? Jesus, the Son of God, proven through prophecy to be the divine Son of God, died on the cross for me. My own eternal life and resurrection is possible through faith expressed in repentance and baptism. And if you're wondering... Only Jesus has the power to save your soul and my soul. There it is. That's not a debate. That's not even a comparison. That's a proclamation. You don't have to believe what I just said. I'm just telling you what it is that I believe. And the reasons why I believe. And of course, only Jesus saves. You know, Acts 4.12. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. I mean, memorize this here. What do you mean? What about all the people that believe in Diana? What about her? Yeah, well, no, they're not. Yes, they're not saved. Well, how can you say that? I'm not saying it. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says it. And I believe Acts chapter 4. You don't have to believe it, but I believe it. All I'm doing is I'm proclaiming it to you. When you simply proclaim the gospel, you set the agenda for further discussion. You set the standard against which others' beliefs will be tested. The gospel message has the power for salvation because only it addresses the principal issue that all persons deal with, whether they are atheists, non-Christians, or believers who require further teaching in the true doctrines of Jesus. Everybody you know, everybody you will ever know, deals with the following, excuse me, deals with the following issues. Personal sin and failure. The Muslim dad who says to his Muslim wife, Why, what have we done with our son? How, how, how come he's turned out to be so messed up? <laughs> yeah. The desire to know God's will. Everybody wants to know who God is and what his will is. Everybody. And the fear of death and the hereafter. Everybody is afraid of of die everybody common things we share regardless of our politics our wealth how we've been raised this is you know 
This is at the core of every, every single individual on earth. And the gospel addresses these issues. Instead of debates and polite discussion and comparison of doctrines and practices and worship traditions, when you get the chance, just lay out the gospel itself and let the people deal with it, not you. They may simply refuse to respond or simply reject it altogether. And if they do, then at least you know that you've given them the one thing they need the most, the one thing that truly has the power to bring them to God and save their souls. And you fulfilled your spiritual duty on their behalf. You see, you're responsible, we're responsible for proclaiming the gospel but we're not responsible for someone else's decision or response. That's their responsibility, not ours. Again, if you have the opportunity, whether it's a conversation or an invitation to a Bible study or a worship service or giving somebody a book or a video or a bulletin article or you turn them on to you know, BibleTalk.tv, Opportunities are the result of our prayers and God's response through the work of the Holy Spirit. If you have an opportunity, the goal is to proclaim, not explain, proclaim the gospel. If you've done this, then the next principle comes into play. Principle number three, perseverance. Prayer Proclamation, perseverance. Note that in the Bible, Jesus and the apostles continued to preach and teach many of the same people over and over again. Jesus spent three years in close company with his apostles, repeating over and over the same message. The apostles, especially Peter and Paul, repeatedly proclaimed the gospel and encouraged the Jews to believe and to accept the truth. You know, we look for some kind of silver bullet, as I mentioned, that will convert each different type of resistant belief or or, or disbelief. For example, some kind of penicillin-type scripture reference that will win over a Catholic or transform a lifelong Muslim into a Christian. They don't exist, these things, brothers and sisters. Even Jesus, with his perfect teaching and the miracles that he performed, did not win over Nicodemus in one sitting. Think about that. It took a couple of years for this Jewish teacher to accept Christ, and in the end, he only did so secretly. I mean, what more did he need? Our best chance comes when we begin with proclaiming the gospel and keep the dialogue going by explaining and discussing how various parts of the gospel affect or compare with other person, the other person's religious uh, beliefs. Of course, that's if they want to continue to, to follow up on the discussion. And if they do, then at least you're sharing what's truly essential and important. For example, the atheist he might take exception to Christ's divinity. And this would lead him to deal with all the evidence that points to Jesus as God. That's what you'd have to teach him or explain to him. Or 
the Catholic or the Protestant or the Mormon, these individuals would certainly take exception to the proper response required by God, which is adult repentance, immersion, and lifetime fidelity. They would take exception to that for salvation. And this would lead them to a deeper understanding of the primary authority of the scripture over tradition, over church teachings. That's the big block if you're talking about Catholic people. It's that the Bible doesn't teach many of the things that they teach as holy, as obligatory. They're not, we're, it's easy for us to say, if it's not in the Bible, you can't force that on me. Yeah, but if you've lived 57 years as a Catholic, <laughs> not that easy to throw over all that stuff. You like the smell of candles. You, I'm serious. You like this. I remember in Montreal, uh, there was a group of young people they were coming from the States and they were coming on a mission trip. A mission trip. Now you got to understand in Quebec, there, in Montreal alone, there are 300 parishes. 300 Catholic churches, not little itty bitty buildings like our building. I mean, cathedrals, Bob, you know, you've been there. I mean, every corner there's a cathedral. So you have these 12 teenagers that are crossing the border and the border guy says, uh, you're, the reason for your visit, we're missionaries. And the French-Canadian guy at the border is, you're what? We're missionaries. Yeah. Really? <laughs> we have 8 million people in this province. 7.8 million of them are Catholic. We get thousands of Catholic churches you know what I'm saying? We've got the Pope, we've got the Cardinals, we've got the pomp, we've got the ceremony, we've got the candles. And you're here to, to be a missionary? It's hard to let that stuff go. It gets, it gets into your blood. Midnight Mass. Anybody know what Midnight Mass is? Yeah, Christmas time. Instead of a service at nine in the morning or whatever, it's at midnight, Christmas Eve. We'd stay up, we'd eat, we'd, you know, we'd do whatever. At our house, they were playing playing poker. You know what I'm saying? And then somebody said, "Oh, it's a quarter to midnight. Okay, you know, put up the cigarettes, put away the money, and everything. We got to go to midnight mass." <laughs> I know it's crazy, but you know, it's a thing. It's in your blood. It's emotional. A Muslim, he would stump, he or she would stumble over the fact that Jesus is the only way to salvation, and this would force him to examine the credibility of both Muhammad and Jesus to see which is the one who is the final and true uh, messenger of God. So we need to remember that ignorance is no excuse. No one is excused from judgment because they didn't know or no one taught them the truth. Paul says this in Romans chapter 1. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them, their conscience. For God made it evident to them. 
So Paul says here, people know about God. They can't can't say, I didn't know about God. But just by looking around, they know. And by looking inwards, they know. So proclaiming the gospel is the best favor we can do for someone. And persevering in discussion and teaching them the details and the demands of it is truly an act of faith and love on, on our part. So whether they stumble over it or they're saved by it, they need to hear it as many times as possible. And we need to first proclaim, then persevere in explaining it as long as they will let us. And in doing so, we need to remember that Jesus, the apostle, and every Christian since has had a mixed response. Not everybody wants to hear. Not everybody will believe. Not everyone will respond, no matter how many times you repeat it. That's their failure, not your failure. You know, we had the TV program on French-Canadian television. It was on TV. Not cable TV, network TV. In other words, when it played on Sunday morning at 9 o'clock and repeated at 2 o'clock, it it played everywhere in every town in Quebec. Uh, Bible talk, Télébible, the French version of it, played. And, you know, we did it for months. And a lot of our brethren saw it, but none of my family watched it. They wouldn't watch it. My mother watched the program once. And I said, I said, so mom, how did you like it? What, what did you think? And I remember her saying, I like the tie you were wearing. It went well with your suit. You know, say something nice. If, if my mom was anything, she was nice. She never spoke badly about people. But that was all she had to say. Your, your son is on TV. Nothing. So be prepared. Be prepared for sometimes nothing. And then the fourth thing, fourth principle, sorry, there it is, patience. We started with patience, we finished with patience. It took the apostles ten years to figure out that the gospel was for the Gentiles as well as the Jews. They thought, go into all the world and preach the gospel. They thought, go into all the world and preach the gospel to the Jews everywhere. That was their thinking. It took the Jewish Christians 20 years to accept the Gentiles as equal partners in Christ. It took me 30 years to finally hear and obey the gospel. Some situations and prospects look hopeless. And they look like this because we we discount both the power and the plans of God. For example, in the early church, no one would have thought that Saul, the crazed Christian hunter, could be converted. Not the person sent to proclaim the gospel to him, that's for sure. Ananias said, Lord, you're sending me to that guy? He kills kills Christians. Not even the apostles themselves would believe that he had been converted even after he had been baptized. In Acts chapter 9, they stayed away from him. And what happened to this man? Did Ananias debate him? No. Was he impressed by the sacrifice and the martyrdom of the Christians that he persecuted? No. God is the one who dealt with him on the road to Damascus and prepared his heart to hear the gospel, which he believed and responded to when it finally came. All Ananias did was proclaim the gospel. That's all he did. 
He, he wasn't able to debate with Paul, with Saul. Now, I'm not saying that God appears miraculously to certain hard-to-convert people to prepare them for the gospel. What I am saying is that God has many ways of preparing our hearts to receive the good news. He has many ways to build bridges into our hearts. Sometimes it's the loving kindness of a Christian friend or a family member or co-worker. Sometimes it's a close call with death. We realize, hmm, I could have died. I better take stock of what's going on. Sometimes it's the sudden realization of how heavy our burden of guilt is. Sometimes it's losing someone that we love. Sometimes it's the overwhelming goodness and kindness that we experience that causes us to begin searching for God. In these and a thousand other ways, God is continually drawing men and women, continually wooing us to search for him, to find him in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit's great work in the world is to bring things together in such a way to draw all men to God. He builds bridges. Our prayers serve this purpose. Our work and our ministry are like signposts that point the way to the bridge for those who have begun the search. We need to be patient, however, because In many instances, it takes a long time to bring a prodigal son or daughter home. Sometimes they have to go to the deepest depths before they begin to search for the way out or the way across. Sometimes being patient and letting God do his work is the only thing left for us to do. If this is the case we need to remember to trust that God will do everything in his power to save your friend or to save your family member because, as the Bible says, he desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. This is what God wants. He wants everyone to be saved. Therefore, Regardless of the religion or lack of religion, the best way to evangelize is to follow the pattern for New Testament evangelism. Pray for the lost specifically. Proclaim the gospel when you have the opportunity. Persevere in teaching and in a good example. And patiently wait. Wait. This means wait without losing hope or getting angry or getting discouraged. Patiently wait upon the Lord for his ways and his judgments are perfect. And sometimes he's the only one who can build the necessary bridge to the one you love. Okay, that's personal evangelism, four steps. I think we're done, eight o'clock. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me, and I'm very happy. All right, we're dismissed.